Welcome to Holy Unhappiness, conversations about the expectations we have of what the life of faith will feel like. I'm your host, Amanda Held Opelt, author of the book, Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of the Blessed Life. Each week, I'll be speaking with writers, pastors, artists, and friends about the myths we believe about the good life. Together, we'll reimagine what blessing can look like if we are willing to look beyond our culture's definition of happiness and success. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Welcome back. I am thankful that you've joined us once again. Today on the podcast, we are going to be talking about community, which I write about in chapter five of my book. So I'll admit this was the hardest chapter in the book for me to write. It was one I wrote and tossed out and wrote and tossed out again and again, just trying to get it right, I guess. Discussions about community evoke questions about place and identity, about justice and partiality, about giving and receiving, about self-care and self-sacrifice. So I need help unpacking all of this, I guess. And I thought, who better to help me than Shannon Martin? Shannon Martin Author of Start With Hello, The Ministry of Ordinary Places, and Falling Free is a speaker and writer who found her voice in the country and her story in the city. Shannon works as a cook at The Window, a local nonprofit dedicated to feeding its community. She and her family live as grateful neighbors in Goshen, Indiana, and I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Shannon, thank you so much for joining me today. I've been just looking forward to our conversation so much. I, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me, Amanda. Well, I, I need to spend the first few minutes just talking about what a phenomenal writer you are. I know you've heard it before, but I'm going to just say it anyway. I feel like there are some books where when you pick them up, it's like, the writing is so beautiful and lyrical and you just it's just such a wonderful experience to read it but you walk away from the book and you think I'm not I'm not exactly sure what I learned like I loved reading it but I'm not sure what I took away mm-hmm. and then other books have like tons of practical takeaways and you learn a ton but it's just the writing's like meh so so mm-hmm. like not that exciting you are one of those rare authors that has both like mm-hmm. just beautiful writing with so many clear practical takeaways and I just Start with Hello, your book that we're going to be talking mostly about today. Um, it, it's one of those scenarios where my husband's like, Amanda, if everything's underlined, nothing's underlined. Like, <laughs> that's it's no longer helpful. 
Oh, that means a lot to me. I am, I am a tragic underliner. I am the same way. And I know, I know what your husband's saying is true. And yet, but no, I really, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's been, yeah, it's been great. And it's so timely. I think when people think about your work and they think about your writing and your presence online, they think about community. They think about belonging, um, about place and the sacredness of shared spaces. And I think that work is just more important than ever before. And I'm wondering if it's becoming harder because Mm. of the, the, the climate that we live in now. Yeah. Is it, is it becoming harder to write about those things or is it just like you're, you're just becoming more yeah. and more passionate about it because it's so important yeah. or like, what's it like to be you, you writing about these <laughs> things right now in oh, this goodness. moment? I, I don't know that it's getting harder to write about. Um, you know, that's, that's such an interesting question. I, maybe in some small ways it is. I think I know at this point, like I have a real good sense of of what's going to ruffle feathers, um, of what's going to be really embraced. And so I feel like at this point, I, I kind of know that rhythm. I know what I'm getting myself into. You know, I yeah. know what I know what those things are going to be. And I have the personality that just embraces all of that. So mm. I just don't have that I don't have that sense of, oh, no, this is going to make people mad, so I better not say it. Yeah. (laughs) And so that's, you know, that's an advantage for me, honestly, because I know we don't all have that capacity. Yeah. And like you said there at the end, I do have this sense of, you know, this is an emergency, Mm. not to to sound too alarmist, but it, it is becoming more and more of just an ever present you know, looming over us that we are, we're in a little bit of trouble here yeah. together. Yeah. And, you know, all, all these things, we're, we're all feeling a little lonely. Yeah. Um, we're feeling some fracture maybe in our families or in our friend groups and our communities. I think almost all of us are experiencing these things and, it, and it's complicated. And yet we, I think many of us, maybe even most of us have this sense that we have to try to find our way back to each other to the extent that we can, you know? Um, And so it does give me that sense of, you know, now it's never been a better time. And I remember when I, when I set out to write this book thinking, oh, you know, it's, you know, this was a couple years ago when I started writing and it just felt like, oh, I I remember thinking, I wish the book could come out right now. Like right now is when it needs to be out. And what I'm discovering is I don't think that time is going away. No, I think we just keep finding our way more. Yes, it's chronic. And so whether it's, you know, two years ago or now, I honestly, it it can feel a little scary to think about two years from now. And yet I believe with my whole heart that there are some answers to be found and that Mm. it really doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I just, I, I hope you keep writing. I hope you keep speaking um, and and speaking that truth into this, this cultural cauldron of, yeah. of, you know, um, relational brokenness, I think that we're experiencing right now. You start, you start your book by saying, um, talking about growing up in high school and kind of the ease of your relational life that you experienced mm-hmm. at that time period. And you said, you know, in high school, your friends, you were faded by birth dates and zip codes. And that this sort of ease and uncomplicated belonging is a memory I'll spend decades chasing. Mm. Um, do you think that it's becoming harder 
to, I think we all know it gets harder as you get older to build community, but do you think it's becoming even harder to mix and mingle with people who are different than us? Like, is that becoming easier or harder? I, I feel like it's, it's a couple of things are happening. The first thing is we have a better sense, or at least we think we do. You know, we're all kind of wearing our belief on our sleeve, mm-hmm. so to speak, in ways that that I don't remember from earlier yeah. in, in adulthood for me. So so we're moving through the world looking for these signals, and we're all kind of doing it. Um, and so there's, you know, I, I think when, when we talk about kind of mingling or um, befriending or just being in some type of community with people who are different from us. I think when we're looking at like a difference of belief, um, whether that's theological or political or, you know, idea, ideological, that feels a little trickier, a little stickier. But then I also think, and again, this is all of us on all sides of whatever coin we're talking about. We're all more painfully aware that our belief is being tied to our belonging. Mm. And so we we come to this place of feeling like, you know, if I if I associate with this person yeah. or if I say this certain thing that I think or feel um it you know publicly, so much of our lives are public now, mm. it, I risk losing my belonging. Yeah. And and I can say personally that I felt that like, that's been true for me and my husband, our family, we've lost some belonging along the way. And so I think that that layer of belonging being kind of interwoven in our beliefs, it's not as, I don't know that this was ever simple, but it's not as simple as just saying like, well, you know, we can agree to disagree when, when we feel like we personally risk our community or our, our place in that community, if we are to associate with each other in certain ways. Right. And I think we don't have time to get into this, but I think we could have a whole episode where we talk about for authors, for um, more kind of public figures, Mm -hmm. people who work publicly, your livelihood is tied to that sometimes. Yeah, that's so so true. Who you align with um, impacts if you get invited to conferences or you get opportunities to write for this Mm -hmm. publication or that publication, and there's real dollars and cents associated with who you're seen with or who you appear to be yeah. relating to. And that, right. that for me has honestly been one of the hardest parts of kind of this new job that I have is um, not wanting that kind of financial um, career success to cloudy what I, what my deepest held values are, which is I want to be in relationship with, with everyone. I want to be able to have a conversation with anybody. Yeah. That is, right. that's a deep value of my, that, that I hold. And that has been challenged yeah. um, in ways that I didn't expect, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, it very much makes sense. And I think that is a, that's another layer to all of this. But I think, you know, even folks who are, who aren't doing the things we might be doing in books or on the internet, you know, we think of, we think of just our actual community. I mean, I'm yeah. thinking of, you know, my, my, our city government leaders, our school boards, I mean, our churches, all of these places are just becoming a little more, you know, it, our, the culture around us is, is making us feel like, I think we've always, you know, had polarization, difference of opinion, mm-hmm. these things, but now our culture is kind of getting in the middle of that and saying, oh, this exists. And also you can't, play 
with yeah. each other. Like you can't play over there. They, you can't play on the playground together yeah. anymore. And, and that kind of unintentionally, I guess it takes us back to that, that idea of like, when we were little, <laughs> when I was a little yeah. girl, when I was in elementary school, man, we just looked around us and, and said, okay, we're both here on recess. Yeah. Do you want to swing? You know? Yep. And so that's yep. the thing that I think that, you know, I, I know, and you know, I have big opinions and I can be, I can be a little bossy, at least in my mind. Um, I've got all these big ideas and these big feelings, but, but I just, I know that, that there's a way to, to cut through some of that. Mm -hmm. I know that not every difference can be, not every difference can be scaled. You know, like there are, there's a time and a place for boundaries and for saying, you know, you when, when you're threatening somebody's very dignity or, you know, yeah. their right to be and, you know, these kinds of things, I'm not saying on any level that, you know, everybody just gets a free pass and we yeah. should all just love one another. Yeah. It is not We don't challenge simple. ideas with, That's with actual right. like, passion, That's, you know? Yes. And, and real conviction. Um, but when, when every, when we're all feeling so convicted about everything, mm-hmm. we've got to at that point begin to say, you know, what are the spaces where we still can move towards each other? And it might not be in every situation, yeah. but there are, there are, there are times that we are missing, you know, yeah. that we can be, um, we can be looking at each other as humans and listening yeah. even when that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, and it's, uh, yeah. Cause it's like, we're, we're being trained to relate by social media now, yeah. which is where you can just dismiss, uh, block, uh, yeah. you can, and, and the algorithm is constantly feeding you people who are similar to you and who agree with you and rage is kind of rewarded. And, yeah. and I think we're also at the same time losing some of these spaces that, that book, um, Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam made a big impression on me oh, where it's yeah. like, we're losing some of these spaces where we just are naturally put into rooms yeah. with people who are different than yes. us. Like, we're working from home. We're yes. we're we're not joining bowl, bowling clubs or lions right. clubs or yes. And so we don't. We just aren't actually in proximity mm-hmm. to people. Like we've customized our lives yeah. to just include the people that are similar to us. You know, That's so so true. Um, I haven't read that yeah. book, but you've put it back on my radar. It's always been kind of hanging out there. So thanks for well, mentioning it's, that. It's a bit of a slog, and I will admit there are a few chapters in the middle that I I skip. Over. Yeah, that's fair. It's, it's like one of those like <laughs> six hundred page books. It gets real, real, real. Like I'm happy for him. He's an academic. Like he did all that research. Right. There's a lot of value in it. But you write, um, yeah, in your book, you say um, being pressed against other people's battles and warming ourselves in their light means each day is a riot of emotion. The complexity of community is the essence of community it's messy or it isn't real. Um, Yeah. I just love that because I think, you know, my book is a little bit about like the expectations we have of what the life of faith will feel like. And we have this idea that Christian community is like this place where we go to kind of get our faith egos pumped up and, and, and feel affirmed and feel um, like people that there's just this ease of relate relationship with. And um, I don't think that that is actually, I think that's kind of a, um, a false uh, expectation of what yeah. real community is. So talk to me a little bit more about mm-hmm. that and how you got to a place where you realized that that messiness was essential for real community. Yeah. So 
one of the one of the facts of my life that's relevant to all of this is that my husband Corey is the chaplain of our county jail mm. and and we live in a neighborhood and it, so much of what i write about speak about think about is place yeah. and it is you know it is this this idea that we're talking about this idea of how do we live as neighbors which you know i use the word neighbor pretty loosely so anybody that that we're kind of rubbing shoulders with in any way i mean i think mm-hmm. that's i think that's our neighbor so so it's it, that has just permeated my consciousness over the past dozen or so years that we've lived here but but because of those facts because i live in you know a, an under-resourced kind of underloved neighborhood where a lot of the folks coming out of incarceration might land um, a lot of the people in my life and coming in and out of my life have struggled in ways I have not struggled. Mm. They have they have lived differently through this world. And that has opened my eyes to so much injustice. I mean, that's been that's been just a real catalyst for me understanding um, my place, honestly, as as someone who cares a lot about justice and injustice Um but it also means that a lot of our friends, a lot of our closest friends are, they, they live complicated lives, you yeah. know, and, and, and on paper, maybe we don't have a lot in common on paper. Maybe it doesn't make a ton of sense that we're, that we're hanging out together or sitting right here at this dining room table together or whatever the case may be. And it's, it's that just simple fact of spending time with the people near me that helped me understand how much I was missing yeah. When, you know, especially in church context, we tend to put ourselves into categories of likeness. So, mm. you know, we think of Sunday school classes or small groups or whatever, you know, are you in the same phase of life? Are you married? Do you have kids? Um, you know, on and on it goes. When I found myself outside of those limitations and and things got a little more complicated, a little messier, a little more uncomfortable in some ways, mm. because I think so much of what we're trying to avoid is just discomfort. Yeah. Just like that that awkwardness, you know, yeah. that feeling of awkwardness. Um and, and when we can lean into that and just press into that and say, you know, we're going to commit despite the things we don't have in common. There's a lot we don't have in common. Yeah. Um Deidre Riggs says often we have we have more differences than commonalities. A lot of times we try to spin it the other way like, oh, we just have so much in common. We're more alike than different. Yeah. And she's always reminding us that's not true. And if we can respect that and honor that, there's just a lot of richness that mm. that awaits there. So I think there's something about this idea of just committing to each other and committing to the ups and downs of life together, sitting really close to each other so that, you know, we are kind of warmed by the same light. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it's something I am so grateful for. You know, I've learned this from the people around me. And I just, I constantly want more and I'm doing everything I can to make everybody else want it too. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think you're one of those key voices that is, is doing that and exposing people to this idea. Maybe they've never thought about it, you know, reading your book and some of the the other books I was reading about community as I was writing my book, it made me think a lot about like the Christian subculture I, I I didn't send you this question in advance. I'm kind of throwing this one on you, but I, okay, like, I'm ready. I was thinking, you know, I grew up in the nineties, Yeah, you know, like kind of the heyday, I feel like of when this Christian subculture was 
really um, um, kind of in full swing. So we, yeah. you know, you had that cease the contemporary Christian music world oh, yeah. and Christian films and focus on the family. And I grew up going to Catalyst Conference and all, you know all these things. And I and now I'm looking back and I'm just like wondering why. <laughs> Like right. I'm, what was that for? And was yeah. it? Was it? What? Did, why did we need it? And what? What did it serve? Like maybe there's some really important yeah. um, things that it it did serve, and and and, and uh, important role that it played in my life. But I also think about what those spaces look like, and it was a lot of people who looked a lot like me. Yeah. You know, and granted, yes. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and East Tennessee. So, but it's like you know the the the, the people I was around were white middle class people, yeah. just like me. Yeah, and. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you have like, what, what were we doing in the, <laughs> what were we, and we were still doing, it. I mean, there, it's still, yeah. there's still like yeah. this deep kind of sense of protection. I think a lot of evangelicals have yep. of the Christian subculture and the, the escapism that it provides, but I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know I what my question so, is. Help no, me I love it because everything you described, I was like, yep, CCM. Yep. Focus on the family. Yep. Went to Catalyst. So it sounds like <laughs> yeah. we had pretty similar experiences. And, and, my husband and I think about this a lot because we have in some ways accidentally and in other ways intentionally raised our kids really differently. And mm. and we're never sure that we did it right. You know, yeah. so I'm not yeah. here saying like we did it, we did all those things differently and that's the way to go. You know, I've got I've got an adult son out of the house, but then I've got three teenagers still mm. at home. And and because we landed in a just a very tiny and humble emphasis on humble church in our neighborhood mm. with really no resources my kids they've never grown up in a youth group yeah. and that's been such a that's been such a tricky thing for Corey and I because youth group you know and all those things you listed that kind of went along with it were youth group adjacent mm. they were such important uh, pieces of our growing up years for better yeah. and for worse. Like, yeah. I don't know if it was, if it was all bad or all good. I'm sure it's somewhere in the middle, but, but now we're looking, you know, we're looking at, at teenagers who haven't had that experience and trying to figure out what that means, yeah. you know, because it, it it's just, it was our norm. And so to, to have our, our own kids having just such a very different experience and, and us trying to, to trust yeah. And really ultimately we do. Yeah. Um, but I just, we, we trust that their experience, you know, we see a lot of the harm that came from our own experiences mm -hmm. that they're mm -hmm. avoiding. We also see some benefit that came from our experience yeah. that they don't have. Yeah. And we, we are choosing to trust that, um, that God is near, that God is present in their lives, that God is, is calling to them uniquely and distinctly yeah. and, and that, we just we we aren't as much in control of, yeah. of these things as we like to believe. I think that's what so much of it was. Yeah. In our childhoods, and maybe you agree, Amanda, I don't know, but this idea of like if we can control the environment, yes, we yeah. can control the outcome. Yep, yep, yeah. And I, I think a lot of us know that's just not true. Yeah. Because I mean, and it goes back to that old adage like what you win people with, you win people too. Yes. Like I, I hope 
I hope that the just the gospel is enough. Like I hope mm-hmm. Jesus is enough. Like the way of Jesus That's is right. enough. But it felt like, and and maybe this is just something. This speaks to something broader going on within our culture of consumerism too. But it was like we needed Jesus with a conference and Jesus with cool music yeah. and Jesus with cool movies and Jesus plus Jesus plus. And and then I th- I think we're seeing a lot. Of, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of people from my generation deconstructing and that can be really healthy yeah. and there's a lot of health that, that's happening there but i think part of it is because the foundation was kind of rotten the foundation was the yeah. events the foundation was the um the sameness that e- yeah. that ease of belonging that we experienced and the illusion uh, yes. of it all yeah. yeah and i'll give huge credit to my youth pastor brian ward who said we're taking youth group out of the church and we're putting it in an old rundown building downtown because we want to reach the kids who are different from us and the kids that are hanging yeah. out down here. And that was when things first started to kind of like turn in my brain of like this, th- th- this, this safety is not, um, is not the most prized um, possession, I guess. Right. The, yeah. The danger, the risk of relating to people different than you is well worth it, you know? Right. And, and not just that, but learning from the the people yeah. you know thinking of of going into the you know your youth group in the in the old building i think of our church which is now predominantly incarcerated people yeah it's a long and wild story it's a beautiful story but most yeah. of our congregation so that's you know so we're thinking now our kids not only do they not have a youth group or even many other kids in the in the church it's it's a church filled with people who are currently incarcerated in the neighborhood work release center. And what does it look like to be Mm. discipled by, by those folks? Yeah. Because it, it, it just, it, it has to be that two way street. I think that is what, you know, if we're thinking of discipleship, it's not a workbook. Like Mm -hmm. I was taught Yeah, (laughs) that workbook didn't do as much for me as people thought it did, but, but it's, it's the, the proximity of, of being with each other, being in community together in spite of and in gratitude to our differences and, and finding ways to learn from each other and see the the light of God's goodness reflected off of the faces of the people around us. I think that's discipleship. Right. That's the thing beneath the thing. I'm so glad you said that because it, it, there's this sense in which like I'm willing to relate to other people who are different than me as long as I'm serving them, like yeah. they're getting something from me. I have something to offer them. And to me, that's like that's the um, uh, kind of mind blowing um, element of the good Samaritan story yeah. was n- because the, the Samaritan was somebody that they would have never thought they could learn anything from. Right. But Jesus yep. is saying, no, emulate the Samaritan. It's, it's yeah. like you, you need to learn from him and you need to yeah. be discipled by this person who you think is a heretic and is, uh, you know, doesn't belong. And right. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's kind of that next step of proximity is not just like, go and be around, but also be willing to be shaped and molded. I, I think that's the whole essence of living as neighbors. You know, I like to move the language away from how can I be a good neighbor yeah. to how uh, can we live as neighbors? Because you can't be a neighbor by yourself. You know, it's got to be this, you know, if we can take the emphasis off of ourselves at every opportunity, I think that's to our advantage. But, but the whole essence to me is it's a two-way street where we ask for what we need and we offer what we can and we just keep taking turns. So it's when it becomes multi-directional, 
um, that's just when that's when things get good, but it requires, you know, it requires us to show up needy. We don't like that. It requires mm. us to not be the the savior all the time. Yeah. We don't necessarily like that. And and if we can get through, I mean, that's that's the heart and soul of start with hello is, you know, trying to get under these these really surface level ideas we have and and just get down to the bones of it. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it gives us entry into the good life that we want, where we, where we live in places and know that we trust that we belong and we look out and we see differences and we're not afraid of them. And, you know, all, all these things kind of flow out from that. Yeah. Yeah. You, there's something else you write. Um, you said, I was taught it's good to love my neighbors yet for a long time. I assumed not hating my neighbors was enough. Mm. What are you continuing to learn about what it means to really love your neighbor? Yeah, it's it's to to um, be needy, <laughs> mm. to be the one who is asking for help. I mean, I I see it over and over and over again. One of the this is like a quirky little story I didn't expect to tell, but a, a lot of the people in my life are smokers. Yeah, they you know whether I'm at work, I work at a community kitchen. Whether we're at church, whether we're just here in our neighborhood, a lot of people are in recovery in a lot of different ways, but they're they might smoke cigarettes or vape or whatever, but particularly cigarette smokers, watching these communities care for each other Mm. and ask for what they need and offer what they can. I mean, it's just been a really beautiful thing to see this really easy generosity of bumming a cigarette. I mean, it it sounds so wild to, for us to be talking about this right now. I don't think you're a smoker. I'm not a smoker, but, but to see, to see this, you know, this sort of unwritten rule because there's always the expectation yep. that I'm going to be the one who needs to bum a cigarette yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. And and it's this really beautiful reciprocity and it's, it's done with almost without question. Yep. And I see it all the time. And so it extends beyond, you know, bumming a cigarette, but just to be able to move through life being, being, uh, you know, kind of down at street level, humble enough to say, I need help with something, whatever yeah. that thing might be. Yeah. That's the ticket. Yeah. I, when I worked, um, my very first job, I was working doing like in social services or working for a nonprofit, working with, with, um, under-resourced women in downtown Nashville. And they were help, we were helping them get their GED, do job skills, all that stuff. Oh, and it, love I, it like just, the way we were able to integrate our lives into theirs was just a gift that one of the greatest gifts of my life. And, but to see that open handedness was the thing that really inspired me. I was like, I have never been as generous as these women who actually have so little to give, but, but it is like, they, they are always willing to help their neighbor. They're willing to ask for help. This like beautiful, just um, no barriers that I thought was so inspiring and that taught me so much about how to ask for help. Like it got to a point where I was asking them for stuff. Like it was, it was just such a, yeah, it was a beautiful experience that I'll never, I'll never forget. Yeah. Well, the the last question I want to ask you, this is a question I ask all of my guests is like, um, yeah, I guess as you've kind of grown in your faith journey, um, how have you reimagined or, or learned to think differently about happiness or the concept of blessing? Ooh, <laughs> that's, I love that you asked that. I, I, so I grew up, I'm not going to give a lot of context, but I grew up in, in some real prosperity gospel spaces. Mm-hmm. And I still, you know, I'm, in my late forties, I'm still working through some of that stuff. 
I bristle at a lot of that, a lot of that thinking or belief now. Um, and I just, I guess I would summarize by saying, if something is God's blessing, it's for everyone. Mm. It's accessible to everyone. It's free for everyone. Um, and, and, and I think it's taken me some time to even understand this in myself, but I think that's why I pay a lot of attention to the sky <laughs> and I'm, I'm constantly yeah. encouraging us on the, on Instagram or on the internet to like notice the sky, this living art hmm. that hangs above us because it belongs to everybody. Yeah. It's, it's for all of us and, and we're all here underneath it. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I could, I, we could spend another hour talking about that question, yeah. Amanda, yeah. but yeah, I think for me, that's the, that's the boundary line. Wow. That's beautiful. It's different, kind of different than anyone has said um, so far. Everybody's given such incredible answers, but that's something I'm going to just be chewing on, I think, for the rest of the day, rest of the week. Um, mm. Thank you. Gosh, I wish we could, you know, talk for hours, but um, it's, it's about time to, to wrap up. I just want to say <laughs> um, I really appreciated your passion for sweeping that I saw in the book. Um, I am a passionate <laughs> sweeper. I, I sweep this. like about three times a day, probably. I'm like, I don't need a gym membership. Like sweeping right. the floor is as good as P90X or whatever. Like, yeah. Tone Instant gratification. Right exactly. Yeah. Um, and your your cleaning routine for when company comes over we had kind of unexpected company last night and it was like clear the surfaces like sweep the floor yeah wipe the bathroom counter that's it it's five minutes it is what it is good to I go just, i just preached on sunday about zacchaeus and oh, i yeah. never thought about this before but i was like you know what zacchaeus did not have time to to tidy up his space <laughs> jesus was coming over and i think we have something to learn from that yeah so. Absolutely. Well, I love it. Um, where can everyone find you, Shannon? Yeah. Online and all those places. Yep. Uh, Instagram is is the the easiest place to find me on social media at Shannon Writes. I'm under that name on Twitter as well. I love both spaces. Um, but my my website, shannonmartin.com, is where you can sign up for my my newsletter. I've got a Substack. And, you know, the website's got everything you need, including the famous pickle recipe. So, yeah, just head over to Shannon, ShannonMartin.com and you'll find me there. Don't miss the pickle recipe. You will be <laughs> blessed. You will be hashtag Those, blessed. Yes. <laughs> Amen. All right. Thanks so much for the conversation, Shannon. Thank you. I'd like to close by reading a few simple ground rules that Shannon gives in her book, Start With Hello for disagreeing well. She writes this, We will use humanizing language at all times. We will honor the Imago Dei and full dignity of everyone. We will value the cognitive pain of critical thinking. We will seek the emotional discomfort of leaving our silos in order to embrace a diversity of experience and opinion. We will boldly stand for justice, employing boundaries when necessary, while doing our best to remember the humanity of those who oppose us. Thank you for joining us once again today. I hope you join us next time. We're going to be discussing the body and serving the Lord with all our strength.